Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. And so with that, we begin our sermon with our sermon verse, Matthew chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. An object in motion will stay in motion until it is acted upon by an external force. The tenants were given a vineyard. And perhaps the thought that propelled them into great evil was something small to start. This is our vineyard, really. There's no master here. We haven't seen him. And who knows if he's even still alive. We're the ones doing the work in the vineyard. We should live and act as if it's our own. And then the master sent servants to come and collect the fruit that was due to the master. And for a moment, perhaps there was hesitation and doubt, but with small steps, the course was already set, and so then, these tenants look at the servants who came and said, perhaps, how do we even know you're from the master? How do we know you're not here to steal our fruit from us? And so they murdered the three servants the master, or the two servants the master sent, and sent one back beaten badly with a message. So the master sent more servants. And at that point, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. And the tenants murdered those servants as well. And finally, the master sent his son. And I would bet that if you ask those tenants if they were real life, it's a story that Jesus is telling us, but if they were real characters that we could speak to, and you ask them, is, is murder something that you would do? Are you a murderer? At the beginning of all of this, they would say, no, absolutely not. Murder is wrong. But now that the sun is before them and the course has already been set, there was just maybe one more step they needed to take. One more step and the vineyard would all be theirs. They could, they could raise their families off the fruit from this vineyard. They could live there for generation upon generation in peace and safety. And as soon as this one last thing was done, as uncomfortable as it might be, they could, they could just go back to being themselves. They could go back to living peacefully. Just one more step, and it should all be over. So they murdered the son. An object in motion stays in motion until it's acted upon by an external force. And we see the reality of this in our world as well. Jesus tells us a story about tenants, but we see the evil in the tenants and the world around us all the time. I know that, that not all of you follow baseball, and for those of you who don't follow baseball, I want to say one thing. You should. And secondly, if you are following baseball, if you are following baseball, <laughs> if you are following baseball, then you've also been paying attention to a scandal that has rocked the major leagues. The scandal where the 2017 World Series championship Astros have been revealed to be cheaters. They discovered a way of detecting what pitches the pitcher was going to throw against them before he threw them. And so that gave them a serious offensive edge for 2017 
and who knows how many seasons before that, and certainly up until the present time. But I bet that if you would ask those professional baseball players when they were four or five years old, the, these members of the Houston Astros have had this big scandal come out. Which if you ask them, do you want to win the World Series by cheating? They probably would have said no. In fact, I, I, would, I would put money on that, that if you asked four or five-year-old Houston Astro, who was going to later win the 2017 World Series, do you want to win the World Series by cheating? They would say no. And yet somehow we've gotten to this point through, through little decisions that they've made, we've gotten to the point where multi-million dollar athletes were revealed to be running around the stadium covering up the evidence of their crime and cheating. Taking down television monitors and cameras so nobody would catch them. And the desire to win at all costs overwhelmed them. It took on its own force and it swept them away. But they also contributed to that momentum. And we see that same story play out in sports and we see it happen in business and we see it happen in government and yeah, we see it happen in the church time and time and time again. And so the parable, when we look at the tenets, reveals this uncomfortable truth for us. It's a gloomy truth. It's a truth we don't want to talk about. But the truth is this. Each one of us, each one of us, are born with an inclination to sin, a sinful nature. We are born rebellious against God. And if that is left unchecked, it will lead us from one evil to a greater evil, to a greater evil after that. Our hearts will harden, and we will become people without mercy. An object in motion stays in motion until it's acted upon by an external force. You've witnessed this law of motion in your own life as well, in, in, in perhaps those moments where you're in an argument and you start saying the things that you know are wrong to say. You know you shouldn't say them, but you pull them out like knives on your opponent and fling them in his or her direction because you're angry and hurt and you couldn't stop yourself. Perhaps you've been in the grips of addiction where you've been following those impulses even though a small voice inside of you is saying, no, stop it, you'll die. But you don't. Or, or maybe it was at work where you made an unethical decision or a person above you made an unethical decision or you were called to keep silence about an unethical decision or you were called to support an unethical decision. It can happen in many ways. And yet... Those same choices face you every day, again and again and again, about more and more unethical things. And the truth is, we can talk about how, how sin takes on its own force and can carry us away, but we are contributors to its momentum, willing contributors. And now in this parable, we have the Pharisees, the Pharisees who have their own wickedness revealed before them. In this story, Jesus is telling them, about themselves. The tenants are the Pharisees and the scribes. They are the ones who start with those small decisions of pride that they can be in charge, that they can rule. Except for when the servants come, they're forced to reject them. And then when the son comes, well, their evil will take them to murder. So what will God do? We find ourselves in that motion, stuck in that motion, and not sure how we can overcome it. What will God do? God 
will throw a rock. God will throw a rock. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 21, let's look and see how Jesus does that. Matthew chapter 21, we can start really on verse 40. Jesus has told the story now about how these servants were sent to the tenants and how they were each murdered, and now the son has also been killed. And we can pick it up now in verse 40 of chapter 21. And it reads, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And he's asking the Pharisees this question. They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard tenants or vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And so Jesus has asked them a question about the parable. They've answered the question about the parable. And you would expect in the next moment Jesus to say, yes, your answer was correct, or no, your answer was incorrect, right? You would expect Jesus to either affirm or reject the answer that they gave and the flow of the conversation. You would expect the topic to remain on the tenants and the vineyard and the lessons we can learn from that story. But Jesus does something else. He drops something else right in their way in the middle of this. And he says this in verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Suddenly, while you're expecting everything to continue on about vineyards and grapes and fruit and tenants and servants and the master coming, Jesus takes it in a completely different place. We're no longer talking about vineyards. He quotes from Psalm 118 that has nothing to do with any of that stuff. And instead, it's talking about building things. And, and here's this, this cornerstone that he presents to us. He literally drops a rock right in the middle of the conversation. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, okay, Jesus, but what does this have to do with anything? But what Jesus does is that he reveals, of course, the stubbornness and even the evil insanity of the Pharisees. Because how crazy is it that builders will reject a cornerstone? Builders, a builder's job is to put up walls. So how could they reject or not notice or misunderstand the very thing that is meant to hold the walls together? It's kind of like how tenants can be in a vineyard and misunderstand who's owning it. Or like how Pharisees, who've read the Bible every day of their lives, have to be asked by some outsider whether or not they've ever read the Bible before. Or like us, who have drifted so far away at times in our sin and our willful rebellion that we've asked ourselves whether we've ever really known Jesus at all. A stone has been dropped in our path. And Christ, or God the Father, will take this Christ, this cornerstone, and he will hurl it through the objections and debates and violence of the Pharisees right through death and back into life. And because this cornerstone, Jesus, is living, we also will meet him. And that's the uncomfortable truth. That's a truth that's painful to think about, that we also, in one way or another, will collide with this rock. But what will the result be? Because if we collide with Jesus in faith, then we'll find something precious and even life-giving within the rock. 
I was a freshman in college, and I was driving from Wisconsin to visit my home in Indiana the day before Thanksgiving. And when you do that, that means oftentimes, if you're going to drive from Wisconsin to Indiana, you've got to go through Chicago. And so I did, the day before Thanksgiving, which is a mess. It's terrible. It was a long drive. And along the way, I had next to me my change jar, because if you're driving through Chicago, well, actually, nowadays, you probably would need a stack of bills. But back then, uh, you can bring a change jar. And uh, you need to bring that change jar because you have a whole lot of tolls. Unfortunately, that change jar didn't have a lid on it. Uh, but I did buckle it in next to me. Uh, it, was, it was right there. It was my co-pilot. And so there I have this cha change jar. Also on the seat next to me, I have a map. And as I'm driving, I started to wonder if I had missed my exit. I looked down briefly at the map, and I look up. The good news was is that I had not missed my exit. The bad news was is that the car in front of me had slammed on its brakes. And I had a collision. And I want to tell you right now, at this point, that everyone was OK. It was fine. Everything was OK. But as my bumper ran into the car in front of me, the change jar sitting next to me was launched into the air. And the contents of the change jar, the quarters, the nickels, the dimes, the pennies, all that, went flying through the air as well towards my dashboard. And what's weird in moments like that, when adrenaline is coursing through your body and your senses are heightened, you notice strange things. And so I remember that as my bumper is smacking into the car in front of me and my change jar is taking flight and the coins are all through the air, I looked over and I thought to myself, huh, <laughs> that's interesting. When God created the heavens and the earth, he set its foundations upon the waters. And underneath the rocks and the soil, that water flowed to give life to everything inside. When the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they became thirsty and on the brink of death, and they complained and cried out to God, and God led Moses to a rock. He struck that rock, and living water flowed out of it. John the Apostle, the disciple of Jesus, envisions Jesus our cornerstone, sitting on the throne on the last day, ruling over all, and underneath his throne, flows a stream of living water. We will collide with the rock. And that's a painful collision. Make no mistake about it. It hurts to die to one's sin. It hurts to confess that what we have done is evil and not right in the sight of God or others. But yet if we collide with that rock in faith, our sins will be crucified and we will find living water within. And this is incredible news. Because today, if you have come here feeling overwhelmed by the evil that rages inside of your heart, if you feel like there are temptations from which there is no escape, run to the rock, collide with it, and see your sins crucified by the forgiveness of sins that comes to you freely and is yours in Jesus Christ's name through your baptism. But what's more than that even is that if you are overwhelmed by your sins and you feel like all you have done is evil, there's still more for you because those who cling to the rock are also welcomed into God's kingdom, not just as tenants because tenants only rent. 
They only rent. They're only there for a little while, and then they're gone. They're temporary. But you are brought into the kingdom not as tenants, but as children. You are his children. You have a permanent place in his kingdom. And in that kingdom, by the power of his Holy Spirit, you can produce fruit. If you are overwhelmed by evil, if you are taken away by this sinful nature that seems to throw you around by its desires, there is good for you to do in Jesus' name by the power of his Holy Spirit. You are a child, not a renter in God's kingdom. And this means that you also can produce fruit. In fact, even, fruit is expected of you. Fruit is expected of you. And, and, and let me not burden your conscience further by saying that. Because whenever we hear about expectations, whenever we hear about the things we have to do, we become overwhelmed. We feel like we failed. We feel like we can't do it. But let's realign and reorient our thinking because if we understand who we are, if we understand our identity, then that determines what we do. You are children, and so you produce fruit in God's kingdom as children. This is grace, actually. This is gospel that you would serve and produce fruit for Jesus Christ because you're doing it not from those who are indebted to God the Father trying to make your way back up into salvation, but instead... You are children who have been given everything already. And you're simply sharing the love that you have from the Father with other people through your works. Living as a children in God's kingdom and doing the things that a child is called to do is actually founded upon grace. So here's what this means for us. Today, we're talking about all the different needs that we have for volunteers, and I want us to stop and think about what that actually means for us as we go about our vision and mission of knowing Christ and loving one another. May it be, then, that we with willing and joyful hearts seek to know Christ and have so many people willing to share Christ that our Sunday school, where our children go to be discipled, and and our youth group and, and our adults of every age have every resource they need, have every kind of support that they need, and that we are discipling one another in God's word. May it be then that we have so many people willing to serve as greeters or something like that, where on a Sunday morning when it's cold and rainy, people getting out of their doors will be greeted by somebody with an umbrella that the elderly and parents with children can be welcomed in, and they will know right away that this is a place where we love one another. May it be that we witness faithfully and grow in that witness to the point that we decide that we want to be a part of missional communities where we can share the gospel and grow in deeper ways. And maybe we can establish these in different communities around us, Flowery Branch, Houston, Jefferson, Cleveland, you name it. And maybe out of that, through that sharing of the gospel, a network of churches is born. Maybe we desire to transform our homes with God's word that we take advantage of every resource given to us, like in the parents' corner, or the resources coming out of Sunday school, or from our small groups, that when people come into our houses and into our homes, they will know right away that they are coming into a place where the Word of God dwells richly. And may it be that we desire to invest in our community around us, that we would willingly serve in things like our food pantry and our foster alliance, that should this church ever somehow suddenly disappear, the community would sorely miss us. The trajectory of your life has been changed by the rock that is Jesus Christ. You are a child in his kingdom, 
forever. And what God has set in motion, no external force can stop. Amen.